Well, today, as, as Lance mentioned, is Palm Sunday. And uh, this morning, uh, Friday night for Good Friday service, next Sunday, Easter, it's kind of a, a, a chance uh, for us as the body of Christ just kind of focus in again on uh, the last days of Jesus' life, his work on the cross, his atonement on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. Not that we don't uh, look at that throughout the rest of the year, we do, but this is just time, a, a time that's set apart where we can gaze in, look in on that. Today we're going to look at the last week of Jesus' life from Sunday through Thursday. Uh, and what I'm hoping and praying that we see again maybe for the first time for some of you, is just how incredibly loving Jesus is. Uh, In his last days, how he spent his days purposefully loving, caring, teaching through those last days. And as we approach it, not just this morning, but Friday night for Good Friday, next Sunday for Easter, I want to approach these messages considering a passage from Luke's gospel. You don't have to turn there. I want to read it for you. Um, we'll, we'll be in lots of scripture this morning. But in Luke 24, verses 1 through 12, it's, it's talking about the resurre- resurrection, one of the accounts of the resurrection. And it says, early in the morning, Mary uh, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and some other women went to the tomb. As they're going there expecting to see one thing, this, this tomb with a stone covering the entrance to the tomb, they come and find that the stone has been rolled away and Jesus' body is gone. And it says that in their um, being perplexed, as you can imagine that they were, two men, two angels appear to them and declare to them that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead just as he said that he would do. Well, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joanna and these other ladies, they run, it says, to go back to the apostles and tell them this wonderful news, what has happened. And and what I want us to look at and what I want us to consider as we go through this morning, Friday, next Sunday morning, is the response of the apostles. It says in Luke 24, verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The New American Standard Version, as well as the NET version of the Bible, they use a better word uh, for us to understand. It's, it's the word nonsense. So the New American Standard says it appeared to them as nonsense. And the NET version says these words seemed like pure nonsense to them. Here's what I want us to consider. Okay, here's the apostles. This is pre-being filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? But here's what I want us to consider. Is this the way that we live? Are we functionally, are you functionally, am I functionally living as if this is nonsense? We come together, we like to sing, we like to come and, and gather together on Sunday mornings, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, are we living as if this is just pure nonsense? Or has it invaded our hearts and our minds so that our living is different? So that the truth of the gospel, the truth of what we're going to encounter in the scriptures to, to this morning, Friday night, as we look at the death of Jesus, his substitutionary atonement, that he took our sins on himself so that his righteous life could be credited to our account, his resurrection, his conquering death, that teaches us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus now and that all who are in him have died to sin or alive with Christ. 
Are we living as if that is true in our day-to-day life? Or, like the apostles' first response, are we living as if, functionally living as if, this is just pure nonsense? We're going to look today at the, the things that Jesus did throughout his last days, starting with his triumphal entry, leading up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And some things we're going to be able to look at somewhat closely. Some things we're going to mention and, and, and hopefully you'll be able to look deeper into this week. And that's what I want to encourage you. Uh, there are several passages that we're going to look at today. Several passages. And some of them I'll be able to read through. Some of them I'll mention and give summary to. But I want to encourage you, if you're not used to taking notes, take notes today, okay? Because what we're going to do is a timeline. So starting with Sunday with the triumphal entry, we're going to go through and I'll let you know the passages. They're pulled from all of the different Gospels and the timeline of what took place in the last days of Jesus' life. And as we gaze at Him through the Scriptures... My prayer is that we evaluate our life. This one who came and said, follow me, believe in me, follow me. Are we following and are we living as if this is truth? And that he came and conquered sin and conquered death. And he is the one who is our Lord and master. And so let me pray and then we'll begin. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Jesus, thank you for coming. Would you help us this morning? Uh, Father, you have promised that your word does not go out in vain. It doesn't just fall to the ground, Lord. It's effective. It does something. It's living and active. Would you help us this morning? Awaken us. We know and confess that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And so as we spend much of our time in your word this morning, just gazing at Jesus in these last days of his life, Lord. Would you teach us and would you instruct us by your spirit? Would you help us to even examine our hearts, Lord, to see are we living this truth? Are we living in light of this truth? Are we letting the truth of the gospel uh, flow from our lips and from our life? Would you, would you help us, Lord? And would you convict us in ways where we need to be convicted as we're reminded of the words and the teachings of Jesus and his love for his uh, disciples and his love for us and his love for his enemies, Lord. Change our hearts this morning. Help us uh, increase our passion for you in Christ's name. Amen. It was Sunday, uh, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11 tells us that on Sunday, Jesus sends two of his disciples to the village to find a colt that would be tied there. And they ask him, what if they, what if they come and confront us and ask us, why are we taking these animals? He says, Jesus says to say to them, the Lord needs them, which is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Isaiah 62, verse 11, where it says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, Your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. It says that Jesus, as he rode into Jerusalem on this humble animal, that people, crowds, spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches and spread them on the road. Crowds went before him and followed him, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
His disciples didn't understand these things as they took place. But it tells us that afterwards, after he was glorified, after he was raised and glorified, they looked back, they remembered that this was a fulfillment of the word, the scriptures in the Old Testament. After that, after riding into Jerusalem, in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26, it tells us that some Greeks come. You can imagine this, this crowd that's gathered is there for the Passover that's approaching this next week. And so there are hundreds of thousands of people in the midst of this as Jesus is riding in and people are screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna. There's some Greeks who hear of Jesus, maybe have known of Jesus. They come to the disciples to Philip and ask, they want to see Jesus. And so Philip and Andrew go to tell Jesus and he replies and says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It says he continued speaking with them and said, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. You think about the purposefulness and the love of Jesus. Here he's just ridden into Jerusalem. These crowds that have gathered, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Their thoughts are, this is our new king. He's going to come. He's going to conquer. He's going to set up his kingdom. We're going to dwell and reign with him forever and ever. Our enemies, the Romans, are going to be annihilated. And in the midst of that, these Greeks are, are wanting to see Jesus. And Jesus focused purposeful, loving, desiring to glorify his father responds. Unless it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And then imagine the anguish in his heart as he knows what's coming. My soul is troubled. But what is his response? Father, save me from this hour? No. It's for this purpose I've come to this hour to glorify God. And I would ask us, those of us who are his followers, those who are called to follow him and serve him, what is our purpose here on this earth? Is it to make much of ourself? Or is it, as Jesus says, to make much of God to glorify his name, living a life that believes that doesn't live functionally as if this is nonsense is living like Jesus. It says it's still Sunday. It says after that, that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. When Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Luke 19 says this in verses 41 and 42, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Mark 11, verse 11, tells us that afterwards Jesus entered the temple, he looked around, and then he went to Bethany. It was Monday. Mark 11, verses 12 through 14. 
On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Isn't this a lesson for us? As Jesus is going and a lesson for his disciples here, he's expecting to see fruit on this creation of his. Fruits doing what it's supposed to do. Its identity was to produce fruit. And the same is for us, those of us who are called to follow him. And as we'll see in, in, in the next few days, to abide in him and bear fruit. Are we living? Are we living as if he's alive and he is producing that in us? Afterwards, he goes back into the temple where he had looked around the previous night. Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17, it says, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. You can imagine what's going on in the minds of the people in the temple at this point, right? I mean, the people who are making their living selling these animals and now there's sheep running all over the place and tables overturned and doves flying around and Jesus condemning them. It says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise and leaving them? He went out of the city of Beth to Bethany and lodged there It was Tuesday. Mark 11 verses 20 and 21 says, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith. In God, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. What does it look like to live as if this is not nonsense? Jesus gives us a window into that and this. He gives the disciples a picture of it here, praying, believing, and forgiving. Are we a people who are just holding on to bitter things against other people? People who have experienced the most unbelievable forgiveness that could ever be given. All of our sins washed away. Jesus says to live in a way that this is not nonsense is to stand praying and forgiving everyone. Everyone. Wherever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone. At that point in Matthew 21, starting with verse 23, all the way through 23, chapter 23, verse 39, we get this, this section where these controversies happen between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Jesus. And the Pharisees are challenging his authority. You can imagine that at this point, there's kind of a rage going on in, inside of them. They want to get rid of this Jesus. 
And so they come to him. They challenge his authority in chapter 21. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I, will, I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? This is just a wonderful passage where uh, the, the Pharisees come up against Jesus. Remember what he does or what they do at this point when Jesus asks them this question? They go off kind of in a little huddle in the corner or wherever. They're just away from Jesus and they're discussing, what are we going to say? What are we, how are we going to answer this? If we say from heaven, then he's going to say, why didn't you believe? And if we say from man, then the people, they look to John as a prophet and they'll stone us. So what are we going to do? What are we going to say to Jesus? And they kind of come to this conclusion, I know what we'll do. We'll say, we don't know. And so they dismiss the huddle. They come back to Jesus and we don't know. And Jesus' response is what? Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He doesn't play games with mixing up truth. And he tells them these parables. He begins to teach and say in, in Matthew 21, the parable of the two sons. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe in him. Which of the sons do we represent? Do we represent the son that when Jesus, when God speaks and says, deny yourself and follow me, go and make disciples. Be holy as I am holy that we say we go, sir. Yes, we, we believe you are our master. We will do it. Whatever you say, we will do. And then we go and do otherwise or are we like the second son who comes to his senses and knows no it is right it is right to do what the father has said he tells another story a parable here another parable there was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went and went into another country when the season for fruit drew near he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. 
It will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Who are those people? It's us. We're not Jews. We're not the Israelites. We're the, we're the Gentiles that were invited in. Are we the people that it came to who are producing fruit? He says it's going to be given to a people producing its fruit. Are we living? Are we living as if this is truth or living as if it's nonsense? He tells another parable about a wedding feast. And then they come to him. They're frustrated, the Pharisees. They're trying in any way, if they can just trick him, it says, trying to entangle him in his words. And so they send their disciples to him in a way trying to trick him. They ask him about paying taxes to Caesar. He answers them. And it says in verse 22, because of his wisdom in answering when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. The Sadducees think that they can do better than the Pharisees. And they come, they think we're going to trick him. We're going to use the law. We're going to trick him with the law. And so they come to him and they says that the same day the Sadducees came to him who say that there's no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died. And then they go through and give this crazy picture where the first one dies, doesn't have kids. So the second one marries, but he dies without kids. And the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one and the sixth one and the seventh one throughout this whole thing. Jesus, no kids, resurrection, whose wife will she be? And they step back thinking they've caught him. In verse 29, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Are we living as if we are followers of the God who is the God of the living? They try to trick him again. The Pharisees come and they, and they try to trick him. They have hundreds of these laws, right? And so they come and they say, which one? Of all the hundreds of these laws, Lord, which one is the most important? What is the great commandment? Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus then asked the disciples a question. Whose son is the Christ? They reply, David. He says to them, how is it then that David is in the spirit calls him Lord saying about Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Jesus then turns to the crowds and to the disciples and he begins to curse the Pharisees calling out woes, seven woes against the Pharisees and their hypocritical living. That's through the beginning of chapter 23. 
And then it says, he looks over Jerusalem and weeps, laments over his people. It's still Tuesday. Jesus and the disciples leave the temple, chapter 24 of Matthew. As they're walking along, he begins to teach them. They, they say to him, look at all these amazing buildings. Just look at the beauty of these buildings. And Jesus begins to teach them. He tells them about the destruction of the temple that's coming. He teaches them about the signs of the close of the age, about the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. He's preparing them. He's teaching them. He's getting them ready for when he is gone. He tells them that he's coming again, the coming of the Son of Man. He says, I'll return again. And then he says in verse 32, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he's near at the very gates. He teaches them, says to them, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. And would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Are we living, waiting, expecting? He goes from there and gives them parables to to reemphasize what he's just spoken to them. He tells them the parable of ten virgins, five who were wise, living and waiting for their bridegroom to come. Five who were foolish, living for the kingdom of this world tells in the parable of the talents of the final judgment telling them it matters it matters what we do with the lord's gifts it's now wednesday he finishes teaching it says in matthew 26 when jesus had finished all these sayings he said to his disciples you know that after two days the passover is coming and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. And then in Luke 22, verses 2 through 6, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of a crowd. In Mark 14, verses 12 through 16, it tells us that the disciples approached Jesus, asking him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent the two disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. It was then Thursday. Jesus is with his disciples in that upper room. And it says in John 13, verses 1 through 20, that Jesus does the unthinkable. This Jesus who rode into Jerusalem, the same Jesus who was 
king, creator of all things, the Jesus who all of these hundreds of thousands of people are crying out, thinking he's our king. He's coming. He's setting up his kingdom. He's going to rule and reign. This king humbles himself, wraps a towel around himself and begins to wash his disciples' feet. This king who has said to us, follow me, washed his disciples' feet. In Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 30, it says he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired. Think about those words. Jesus with his apostles, including Judas, who he knows is about to betray him, says hours before he has is arrested and beaten, tortured, killed, his father's wrath poured on him, looks at his friends and says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And then in John 13, verses 21 through 28, he reveals to his disciples that one of them is going to betray him. Luke 22, 31 through 40, 34 tells us that he looks then at Peter and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. This is amazing love from the king of the universe who knows what's about to take place to his own body. The temptations that's going to come to him. And he looks at his friend and says, Peter, Satan wants you And I have prayed for you that you would be strengthened in the midst of temptation. As followers of Jesus, we trust that he is still doing that today. He is still praying for us that we would stand strong, that we wouldn't live as if this is nonsense, that we would stand strong under temptation and live as if this is everything to us. He continues to teach them in the upper room, John 13, 1, all the way through chapter 17, 26. Just wonderful, amazing hours before he's killed, sitting with the one who will deny him, sitting with all who will reject him. And he says to them, little children, Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. How do we live in a way that looks like this is not nonsense? Jesus tells us here, 
love in the same way that I've loved you. And I got down and I served you. I washed your feet in the same way that I've loved you. And I didn't just think of myself and what was going to happen to me. I prayed for you, Simon. I prayed for you and encouraged you. I fought spiritually for you in the same way that I have loved you. Love one another. In John 13, 36, Simon says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And then we come to chapter 14, this wonderful passage of preparation and teaching as Jesus loves and prepares his friends for when he leaves. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You can imagine they were very troubled. They love Jesus. And they don't understand what he's talking about when he's talking about leaving. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus continues to teach them. And promises them that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to them. And that the Holy Spirit's going to remind them of the things that he's spoken. And, and strengthen them and help them. He tells them in chapter 15 that he's the vine and the father is the vine dresser. And apart from the vine that we can do nothing. We cannot bear fruit. And so abide, abide, Jesus says. Remain in me. Go, he says, and bear fruit. And then he tells them, they've hated me. And if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. And then he says in chapter 16, you'll see me no more, but that's to your benefit. Because if I go, then the helper will come, the Holy Spirit. We can only imagine how heavy the hearts of the disciples are as he finishes up his teaching in chapter 16. And he says to these heavy hearted, confused friends, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then chapter 17, when Jesus had spoken these words just hours before he is killed. It says he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he prayed. He prays that God would be glorified through his life. He prays for his friends, his disciples, that they would remain faithful. And he prays for you. Just moments before he will go to the Garden of Gethsemane and face his accusers, be beaten, tortured, suffering, dying, receiving the wrath of of God for our sins. He prays for us that we would be one and that we would glorify Him. Are we living in response to that truth? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 that we're now a royal priesthood. 
Are we following Jesus and living as Jesus did and praying for each other that we would be one and that the Lord would be glorified through us? And it says at that point that he left them with them and went to a garden called Gethsemane and it was late at night. These are the last days of Jesus' life. Amazing and wonderful demonstration of love and purposeful teaching as he prepares and equips his followers, as he loves his enemies, even as he confronts them with the truth of who he is and who they are. He's about to be arrested and die in the upper room with his friends, knowing what's about to happen to him. He looks at his friend Peter and warns him of temptation and prays for him. I want to ask you again, are you functionally living as as if this is nonsense? Or have you embraced it? Have you embraced it so that Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday are just filled with, Lord, I want to follow you. You are a great king. And I want to follow you. I want to serve you and follow you and, and do what you've called me to do. In Luke 24 when the disciples don't believe in verse 11, and it says it was like an idle tale, it was like pure nonsense to them. You know what happens in the next verse? It says that Peter runs. He leaves. He runs to the tomb to investigate himself. Is it true? There's the hope for us. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've struggled with that. And maybe up to this point or maybe in your heart every other day or every other week or whatever. It's just like you see evidence that you're acting like this is nonsense. But what do we do? We do what Peter did. He doesn't just stay content with the fact that this is idle, an idle tale or nonsense in his mind. He runs to the place where the one he loves was laid to see is he alive? Is he living again? I would say the same thing for us. I would pray that for us. If there are evidences of unbelief, areas where we're not living a life of faith, then let's run to him. On the first day of the week, as he rides into Jerusalem and all of the crowd is, is crying out to him, waving palm branches. It was, it was just days later when things get tough that those same people denied him, cry out against him. Will we be more like Peter who runs to investigate and, and see is this true? That What the people do in denying him is evidence of seeing this as nonsense and not believing. It's what happens when we don't believe. My prayer is that the Spirit would fill us and that we would run to Jesus this week. As you've hopefully written these things down, that you'll spend your days meditating on Jesus' last days. As tomorrow comes, that you'll just... Gaze into Jesus' face through his word. What is it that my Lord did on Monday before he died? What did he teach? What did he say? How can I follow him? And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. If you want to know if Jesus loves you, just look at him. Look at his life and these last days and hours he lived. He has proven, he's proven his love for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, as we approach this coming Friday and we continue this looking in your word and just seeing the beauty of you, Jesus, that you would love in the midst of of what must have been intense despair in your heart, knowing, knowing you were going to bear the wrath of your father. 
but longing to glorify your Father. Knowing you were going to be treated as if you lived like me and everyone else who would ever believe in you. And wanting to glorify your Father. You have proven, Lord, you have proven your love for us. Would you help us, Lord, to meditate on your word and to let your word just go deep into our hearts. Let it be like seed that goes into good soil, Lord, and produces a harvest in us. Let us be like Peter and run to your word to investigate the truth of who you are. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And we want to live in response to that, Lord. We want others to see that you are worthy. And so help us, I pray. Thank you for your word that you've given to us, Lord. We trust you and we trust it because it comes from you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.